Apologies in advance. At about 24 minutes, there is a slight technical glitch, but it sorts itself out eventually, so do not adjust your set. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who episode commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydock. Hi, Toby. Uh, it's Simon Guerrier here. I've chosen for you The Evil of the Daleks from 1967. Right, well, welcome back, listeners and viewers, depending on which you are. If you're a viewer, you've noticed I've I've raised the camera a bit to uh, so, so that the camera's looking down on me like a squat malevolent Dalek. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you'll just have to imagine that. Um, you can just see... Slightly more of my, the top of my head, my balding head. Um, so we're going to watch episode five of Evil of the Daleks. Still plenty left in this story. Uh, so press play. Now. Um, interesting, I, ch- I chose for episode four my favourite thing. I cheated a little bit. I do feel a bit bad about that. Um, it will probably bug me forever. <laughs> um, Chris Thompson, the designer. Of course, I had a chance to interview him, but he lives miles away from where I am. And I was a bit busy and a bit tired. Uh, uh, and um, and so I didn't do it. So my friends Phil Newman and John Kelly did, but they, they invited me along. Phil's a better interviewer for a designer anyway. Um I'm I'm pretty good with actors. I could go. What was it like working with um, uh, Moultrie Kelsall in uh, the Anglian Shanklin Empire in 1947 or whatever? Whereas uh, with sets, it's just like what? So what? 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 How did you do that wallpaper? Um, so Phil, Phil is a professional designer, um, but I had a chance to interview the fantastic designer of this story. His only credit on Doctor Who. Uh, and, I, and I didn't, so as well as half of the cast that got away, the designers also got away from me as well. Um, I have interviewed Roger Bunce, who's one of the studio cameramen from this, um, and Tim Coombe, who's the assistant. Ah, yes, that's the bit with the, the Dalek casing from Power of the Daleks that I mentioned last week. You can see it in the telesnap. How funny. Ha, 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 ha. And I wonder that would have been a nice moment with the Dalek falling, falling uh, off the balcony. Um, and I think did they have to make a, a special slim Dalek in order to fit through to get onto the balcony? There's lots of interesting Dalek facts. Uh, again, uh, like Phil is is uh, better equipped to talk about sets. Gavin Rymel is much better equipped to tell you everything you need to know about the Daleks. Check out his website. Uh, he's not sponsored me. I've mentioned him loads of times, <laughs> but I do like his work. I like, I like, I like the the scholarship and industry that goes into the um, piecing the history of Doctor Who together. Deborah Watling, uh, I always think of as my sort of Doctor Who twin, because I was delighted there was an interview with her in Doctor Who magazine, and it opened saying Deborah Watling was born in. Loughton in Essex, which is spelled L-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Well, 
I spent my childhood in. My, my family still live in the same house in, in uh, Lowton, spelt L-O-U-G-H-T-O-N, in Shropshire. Uh, and she was born on the 2nd of January, 1948. I was born on the 2nd of January, 1974. So, so Deborah Watling is my Doctor Who twin. And nobody's born on the 2nd of January. It's a terrible birthday. I think David Bailey, the photographer, maybe. Tia Carrere from Wayne's World. But no, most people, because most people don't even bother to get out of bed on the 2nd of January. It's the worst birthday in the history of time. Everyone waits till the next day or gets it out of the way the day before. Um, Troughton's very cunning here with uh, with Arthur Terrell, isn't he? And, oh yes, I've, there's there's swords on the wall there. I think there's a sword. For, oh no, because there's a course, isn't it? He, he's magnetic. Uh, I can't remember the details. I'm talking through it. Uh, I'm sure. Our, doesn't he hold a sword and something magnetizes to it, and that shows that he's he's he is all Dalek-y. He's been he's been Dalekerized because he's a magnetic man. That's quite David Whittaker science, I, I, um, <laughs> which I rather like. Um, oh, and he doesn't eat or drink anything. He doesn't eat or drink anything, and he's magnetic, so he's under the thrall of the Daleks. Uh, which means he has he has a terrible time of it this episode, but in which which means which is which is cause, and that has repercussions for for Ruth and for him and you know they're they're he's he's going to suffer after this he's going to convalesce uh, 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 as a result of what he's been through in this story and I think that's quite that gives it a scope and a life outside the these particular adventures you know. Uh, Five episodes in, and oh, and John Bailey. Here he is as Edward Waterfield, the saddest man in Doctor Who. Uh, I, I was. Oh, hang on. I, I am a professor. I'm, a, I'm not a student of human nature. I'm a professor of a far wider academy, of which human nature is only a part. That was in the book Doctor Who. I will come back to John Bailey, don't worry. Doctor Who, A Celebration, which is the moment, or which is the gift that I was given that I think transformed me from a kid who liked Doctor Who into a Doctor Who fan. It was so packed full of really interesting things. And I remember the family sort of passing it around at Christmas going, oh, it started the day after John F. Kennedy died. Oh, do you know he's never actually been called Doctor Who? Blah, 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 blah. Um, although even that, does a little footnote so apart from the war machines um oh poor old arthur terrell's got the dalek voice in his head i love that yeah it's really nice that's the character going through the ringer um but doctor who a celebration um had had color pictures in the middle and it had one of each doctor up to that point with a with a quote so william hartnell it was a picture of him and and the quote was i'm a citizen of the universe and a gentleman to boot with Troughton, it was that one from evil i think for pertwee it was from Day of the Daleks, Sea Devils going, uh, was it the Sea Devils? Uh, I remember saying to old Napoleon Boney, I said, although I read that as, I remember saying to old Napoleon Boney, I said, and it doesn't because I, I misinterpreted what the, the speech marks were. Tom Baker, did he have, I'm a Time Lord, I walk in eternity? I think so, a picture of him surrounded by sort of refracting light, uh, and a sort of kaleidoscopic light, uh, and... Davison on the floor with broken bits around him. And I think his quote was even a broken clock tells the 
right time twice a day, which I don't think is one of his lines, is it? Um, maybe it is. Um, uh, but those were the quotes under each doctor in the middle of Doctor is Celebration. So I'm not a student of human nature. I'm a professor of a far wider academy, which human nature is only a part. Didn't really know what that meant. Uh, this was 1983, so I was nine. I certainly didn't know what I'm a citizen of the universe and a gentleman to boot means. I, did, I was going, what? You, you're allowed to kick him? What does, what does that mean? What does that... Uh, so, so, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time being baffled by words and idioms in Doctor Who that I've only then come to understand later. That's an excellent shot of Molly Dawson being hypnotised. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, another story about Marius Goring here hypnotising lovely Joe Robottom as... as, as fabulous maid Molly Dawson uh, is I think I think maybe Mark Gatiss told me this I'm not and I'm not name dropping I'm, I'm I met him about four times but um, uh, it's just to quote my sources somebody told a story of Marius Goring used to walk around in a three-piece suit with a tie and a pocket square and I think the story had came up because I like to sport a pocket square when I'm out and about because I was delighted when I did a DVD commentary for the Android Invasion, which is an entirely audio medium, and they don't film anything on the day. And Milton Johns, the wonderful actor who, from the Enemy of the World, Android Invasion, Invasion of Time, turned up in a three-piece suit with a tie and matching pocket square. And I loved that so much that I thought, I like wearing a tie. And I, no, I, I didn't start wearing a tie till a lot later, but I, I used to like stuffing, stuffing something into my jacket pocket just to give it a bit of flair. Uh, not quite as I didn't look quite as formal as uh, as Milton Johns, so I wasn't wasn't cosplaying as Milton Johns, but I was certainly influenced. Um, uh, and anyway, apparently, yeah, Marius Goring used to go around dressed in a very smart three-piece suit with tie and pocket square, but with um, with trainers on. Uh, apparently, exquisite, very clean white trainers because you know he was in his late seventies, early eighties, and you know needed comfort on the feet you know and he and, and I, I was given a line and I can't remember what it was where he said something about you know yeah you look good but you've got to also always go for comfort downstairs sort of thing so I, I love that idea that even when you have to wear trainers because you're you're a bit sort of gnarled and old you still you know try and have a try and have a few you know a few standards I like a I do like a standard um although I'm I'm being honest with this because I, I normally dress I try and dress, as I say, quite uh, quite well when I, I go out. So the fact that I've let you into my house, very tempted to get changed for, for these. Um, but you're at my house. I'm loafing about. You you uh, um, you you're in what I, you're in. You, you see me as I am, and you're most welcome. Um, if you're so long as you're nice, just. Just brought you around to talk about Doctor Who. Uh, I think it's nice. We're in, I record this in a time of pestilence. Uh, uh, and I see the internet so squabbly and so divisive, even in the worlds of Doctor Who fandom. And I see a lot of Doctor Who fans getting cross with each other. And then the country at large getting cross with each other. The only way to fight the dark is to try and shine a bit of light. And the only light I have is that I'm very enthusiastic about Doctor Who and I can talk about it. Uh, 
Uh, so I'm talking about it to you. And I know that some people are probably out there, you know, t twiddling thumbs. Uh, I, actually, I was going to say uh, maybe short of Doctor Who material. You're not short of Doctor Who material. There's plenty of Doctor Who podcasts. So thank you for choosing this one. Well, thank you for choosing to watch along. Am I, you're on my sofa or am I on your sofa? Anyway, hello. Um, I like this dynamic between Maximal and Terrell. I mean, it would all go, um, I think, in a modern story. Or it would be dealt with in a couple of scenes. But um, I think uh, he's a good actor, good character. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that was the point. Um, Christopher Benjamin was considered for Toby, I mentioned a few episodes ago. I, I have a little, I pick a little bit of a fight with the way that Doctor Who's history is written sometimes because they, you know, in production files, they find sort of actors' names scrawled next to parts. And it's always written up as, for example, with this, uh, Barry Ingham lost out to the role of Arthur Terrell to Gary Watson. Uh, I don't know that he did. Barry Ingham may well have been considered, but Barry Ingham was a, a big actor. Uh, associate artist of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's Paris in The Mythmakers. He's in the film of Doctor Who and the Daleks. He may have been considered or, or thought of very fleetingly for the role of uh, Arthur Terrell. It doesn't mean they offered it to him. Uh, or it doesn't mean that they thought of him and then went, nah, not him, let's get Gary Watson. They might have offered it to him. It might not have even got to him. His agent might have gone, no way, it's not a big enough part. So... Uh, 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 so, so when they say, you know, so-and-so lost out to so-and-so, there are other actors considered for other parts. I think Lee Montague, fine actor, was uh, was considered for Maxtable. That doesn't mean he lost out to marry a scoring or that they're comparable because, I've, you know, I've been involved in casting a stuff. You, you write loads and loads of names. It doesn't mean uh, they're in competition with each other or one person is, is offered it and another isn't or whatever. All sorts of different factors. And sometimes it's just speculation. So it's just a little hill I want to die on in the way that sometimes... Uh, and, and I think it goes on because people then go on to IMDb and go, uh, so-and-so uh, won the part over so-and-so. Not, not necessarily. Some of the others may have been offered it and turned it down. Uh, I thought that was really important as I started saying it. I've, I've, I've tailed off a bit and realised that some of the hills I'm prepared to die on are pointless deaths. And they're only things that worry me. But it's amazing because that's been up in my head for so many years as a thing that's slightly irritated me when I've read it. This is my chance to say it out loud. And then you go, oh, actually, it doesn't really matter. But that's a lesson for life. It's because I, I think I think sometimes we bottle things up and then we get furious and we type them on the Internet and we, we expunge our things that annoy us. Um, and actually, then we, when you say them out loud, um, it, uh, it takes the power out of them and actually makes you realise that some of them aren't that important. That's what I've found anyway. <laughs> now, John Bailey, I promised to come back to. In the Dennis Potter play. Vote, vote, vote for Nigel Barton. There's two, the stand-up Nigel Barton, which I think is the first one. Vote, vote, vote for Nigel Barton is the second one. And his... Nigel Barton is an aspiring MP played by Keith Barron. Uh, and his sort of election, what they called m manager, sponsor. There is a word and I, I forget it now because it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm on my fifth episode of non-existent Doctor Who in a row. Um, agent? 
it's not just agent, is it? Anyway, whatever. His election guy is, I think, called Jack May, which is the name of an actor. It's the actor who plays General Hermack in The Space Pirates. Is he called Jack May, the character? Anyway, uh, is played by John Bailey. And it's a very different performance to Edward Waterfield. And it's a really good performance. And he gets some great moments in it. Uh, and it, it's 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 one of the it's one of the he's one of the great Dennis Potter characters in a really important uh, play. So if you want to see another side of John Bailey, check out "Vote, Vote, Vote" for Nigel Barton. God, I haven't seen that in years. There's so much lovely archive telly to remind oneself of, and there's good telly today. I mean, I'm not a You know, sometimes when I sort of talk about how how these stories have time to breathe and the characters have time to do something, I'm not I'm not knocking modern telly. I think modern telly has has so much that's good about it. But I have to say, I am very much drawn to black and white. is so good as well, isn't it? Black and white is so atmospheric, um, and I think again, but that's partially is because there's something spooky about watching the ancient. And it's not so much the case with, with this one, but you know, a lot of a lot of old Doctor Who we watch, we're you know, we're entertained by, by, th the dead. You know, it's it's a, it's our, our our archives are populated by ghosts, and I th and I think that in a way is quite sort of spooky and profound. Seeing seeing something that when they were doing it, you know, they were there and alive and as present, and I could see them feel themselves as much as I can now, and now they're, you know, now they're gone. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I find that strangely moving. I remember Matthew Waterhouse doing an interview in Doctor Who magazine and talking about how if, when you watched a silent film, you know that even, you know, that extra in the background was, was, was now dead. But to them then it was, you know, life was present and, and real and important. And I, I do think, I think there is something about, it's, it's a bit, it's a, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit like the camera capturing the soul, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a, it's a bit of that, um, the idea that we're, you know, we that, that well, everything here is is sort of preserved f forever. I mean, or or not, because I'm watching a missing episode. But that was that was that was the principle. Um, now we've got a sword fight, which I suspect would have been all right because one, Peter Diamond, and two, uh, Gary Watson was around this time, and he just done it. Was a musketeer. Now there's a three musketeers. Tears. There's a Three Musketeers that has, that's very hooey. I remember finding it in the Radio Times uh, from around this time. It's uh, and it's Paul Whitson Jones as Porthos, of course. Paul Whitson Jones from the, from the mutants and the smugglers always played slightly. Poor. Porthos is always a bit larger, isn't he? Um, is it is Jeremy Brett D'Artagnan? But I've got a. Why am I thinking of Lawrence Payne as D'Artagnan? Well, Jeremy Brett has not done a Doctor Who, but he was touted as a Doctor Who in the 80s. People wanted him to play Doctor Who in the 80s. Um, but it's a Doctor Who Sherlock thing going on. Uh, Gary Watson. What about... Oh, but Jeremy... Jeremy... Oh, hang on. No, it's Brian Blessed. What about... Brian Blessed... Gary Watson, Jeremy Young, Jeremy Brett. Jeremy Brett as D'Artagnan. And then there's an earlier one that's got Paul Whitson-Jones that has Lawrence Payne as D'Artagnan. 
Lawrence Payne lost his eye in a sword fight uh, in Sexton Blake. That's Lawrence Payne from The Two Doctors and The Leisure Hive and The Gunfighters. Uh, Roger Delgado was in that and somebody else. And that was an earlier one. But I think the 60s one is Blessed. Jeremy Young from Unearthly Child, Mission to the Unknown. Gary Watson. So he'll have been a good sort of... I wonder why that's why they thought of him, because I think it was 66, I think it was around this time. Gary Watson could sword fight. Oh, oh, and, he, and the Doctor rescues him. And, and there's something quite urgent about that, isn't there? Telling Ruth, you know, get the hell out of here, because things are about to get really heavy and yeah it's episode five we ain't finishing we've got we've got there's there's more to happen oh and it's nice that terrell gets his gets his sort of humanity back i wonder though if he spends his old age going i used to be able to pick i used to be able to magnetize metal <laughs> can't do it anymore Yeah. Um, so yes. Anyway, two, three musketeers, six musketeers, eight musketeers, because D'Artagnan's a musketeer. But yes, I remember thinking how who heavy, how who heavy, one or both of them were when I found them in. My idea was fun was to go to Birmingham Library, um, which I only did it I think twice, but it was it was like because I live in the middle of nowhere to leaf through Radio Timeses. That's when I found gold, like a cast list for production of the Three Musketeers that had some Doctor Who actors in it. That was to me as it that was more exciting than football. <laughs> oh dear, this is why I've ended up at one o'clock in the morning in the middle of plague-ridden Great Britain as the <laughs> civil war looks like it's going to break out and everyone, you know, and the, and the world is a is a pretty sad place to behold. I get my fun by absorbing myself in a Doctor Who story that I, that, that the uh, the details of which are not hugely familiar because I have to say I've, I've watched the recons and I've listened to the soundtracks but certainly far less often than than I would watch moving pictures and episodes um, and that because it's harder um, and because somebody's got my Whoever you are, if you're watching this and you've you've got my CD of Evil of the Daleks, uh, which just means that somebody that's that's another example of Evil of the Daleks abandoning me. <laughs> God, it'd be just my luck if I was if I found it. <laughs> I found it a car boot, so it'd melt in my hand. Now, this funny, I I nominated the argument in the previous episode. But actually, the one covered in that nostalgia article, it's it's this one. It's the bit where he calls him callous, and he says we're finished, doesn't he? So, so in, in fact, I've done. I've, I, I I think I sort of nominated the one in episode three, which Simon did as well. So uh, it was it was a serendipitous moment because I think I'd sort of meant this one really because he says we're finished. I mean, that's a real. That's a real moment for the Doctor and his companion, especially jolly old Jamie, um, with, you know, with, with whom he's just established that rapport, you know, when, they, when you see them sort of galloping around uh, Gatwick Airport, suddenly free of Ben and Polly, and they become this sort of double act. Um, oh, 
Yes, the, oh, I forgot, oh, of course. This is where the story, having been a sort of Victorian melodrama with, uh, with those characters we just got rid of, this is where it takes a really offbeat turn. And I mean, I never played trains. I talked about the Daleks playing trains. I didn't really know what that was, but it's just going choo-choo. But, but the, these, these Daleks suddenly being weird, you know, it's suddenly the, it's a great cliffhanger, isn't it? Because it's, it's not the Doctor in danger. It's the, I think the modern parlance is WTF is, is going on. Um, and, and, and this rather guff idea about human factor, Dalek factor, I forgive it because it gives us the Daleks as we've never seen them before. Uh, and, the, and the Daleks done badly can be rather boring. We all know the cliche of, you know, the, the cliche of the Daleks um, when they're used unimaginatively. But when they surprise you, that's, I love that. The Doctor on the Dalek and, and at first, is it, it, are they being menacing? No, they're playing a game and they're, they're playing a game. It's a game. I love that. Isn't that glorious? It's so, it's slightly surreal and slightly weird. That is such an unusual cliffhanger. But it's the story going, we are taking you to places we've never been before. This is the Daleks as you've never seen them before. What's going on? Uh, I adore that. I think that is so clever and weird and offbeat and strange and 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 I think I use the word beguiling too much, but I'm beguiled by it. I'm charmed by it, but I'm slightly discombobulated and off-put by it as well. It's rather an amusing game, don't you think? And I love the fact that the cliffhanger. It's, there's no cliffhanger like that. that. That is unlike anything, I think, in the whole of Doctor Who. Uh, so I've I've chosen my moment. It's that seek. It's that cliffhanger, and, and maybe you know, the, the, the playing of the trains. That cliffhanger. It's it's a great moment of of, of Doctor Who. Uh, I, I challenge Simon to choose something better than that. Okay. Slight cut there because there was a technical glitch. Uh, I haven't been cheating, I promise. So, uh, what has Simon chosen? I defy him to have chosen something uh, that wasn't a cliffhanger. Let's see. The thing about episode five is the ending. Um, again, we get this argument between Jamie and the Doctor. Again, Jamie saying he can't trust the Doctor and doesn't even know who he is. And that's big, serious stuff. But it then flips because the Daleks burst in and they want to play trains. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said the same, except I used the words offbeat and beguiling, which I overuse as much as the word uh, verisimilitude, uh, which I, I've been conscious to try and avoid using. And I've just played that joker. Uh, so I think I should have a, I should maybe get fined every time I say offbeat or beguiling uh, or robust. They seem to be my words at the moment. I shall try to um, eclecticise my verbal palette. Um, so that's pretty good hit rate for me. Uh, having had the argument in episode three, even though I kind of partially mistook it for that argument. Cliffhanger. And that's, we've ridden out the sort of, Slightly choppier waters, I would say, of the middle instalments of Evil of the Daleks. We're about to go to Scarrow. 
the 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 Dalekanium's about to hit the fan. Uh, not 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 this one. Well, it might. Let's see. Uh, next time. But uh, for now, I hope you're enjoying this uh, this podcast. Rather an amusing little podcast. I hope, Jamie. Ta-ta. I think you'll find. 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 John Bailey's character in Vote, Vote, Vote for Nigel Barton is called Jack Hay, not Jack May. Close, but no cigar. And indeed, in Doctor Who A Celebration, the quote accompanying Peter Davison is, a broken clock keeps better time than you, and that is said to him by Tegan, so an unusual choice. Oh yeah, and the Napoleon Boney quote is of course from Day of the Daleks, a story I did about a week before recording this. So yeah, well done memory. Thanks to Simon Guerrier, my guest, who's written all sorts of things for Doctor Who. Novels, new adventures, short trips, big finish stuff, articles for Doctor Who magazine. Uh, if you want to get grips with his books, well, he did a couple of new series adventures, The Pirate Loop, I have a signed copy. I think the first time we met, he left a copy for me uh, backstage at my show, so in fact we haven't met at that point. Um, and he also did the Slitheen incursion, but... Uh, check out his work there's a lot of it and uh, the man is reflected in it uh, which means it's very entertaining and very good natured Uh, my thanks to simon happy times and places was presented by me toby haydoke and my special guest was Simon Guerrier. The music for Happy Times and Places was specially composed by Dave Gates. Thanks to this episode's featured patrons, John Deere, Ian Key, Jenny at Blue Box 99, James Blackett, Michael Dennis, Tim Dickinson, Pete Dylan Trenchard, and Monsieur Poirot. And thanks, of course, to everyone who is supporting me via patreon.com forward slash Toby where you can get early access and bonus episodes. Please go to www.tobyhaydoke.com for more. And don't forget to rate, thumbs up, and generally be nice about this podcast everywhere you possibly can. It's easy for you, and it helps me, and I'll be very grateful. Evil of the Daleks is available from the BBC as a narrated soundtrack. Episode 2 is available on DVD as part of the Lost in Time collection. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.